following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 80, Intentionally Flying Around Volcanoes, Oxygen Deprivation and Pressurization, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm Carl Valeri, your host this evening, and I'm here with my favorite aviation volcano erupting friends. They uh, actually <laughs> were talking, uh, as you can tell, about our topic tonight, what we'll be talking about to begin with. And uh, I, I've had so much fun lately in and around aviation without flying an airplane, but that's not true of uh, some of the folks that are here with me today. Today I have with me somebody who I had a what I'll say is a near miss recently. <laughs> I came to an airport real close by and didn't get to see him. That happens sometimes. I wound up in Boston at 3.30 in the morning. Welcome, yeah. Rick Felty, to the podcast. Yes. How's it going? Yeah, I saw. I think I saw it on social media. There were pictures of you in Boston. I thought, was that trip this week? Because yeah. <laughs> I think you're coming up here at some point. Yes, but I, I am. I, oh, man, I completely missed him. Yes, but, I yeah. am. No, I know that stuff happens. And yeah, I know I it wasn't your favorite trip to make. I mean, Boston's nice, but no. the situation was a sudden one. No, it was sudden. But, boy, I yeah. tell you, Boston's amazing. What a neat city. Yeah. Never been there, and there's a lot of history as far as uh, aviation's concerned too. A lot of yeah. really cool airports in the area. I started asking around, the, so I I am so excited and also excited to come up and uh, visit with Rick because Rick and I have not yet met. Isn't and, that uh, weird? Yeah, it is. It's a couple <laughs> of years and we've never met. I know. So. I know you are going to show me an airport, aren't you, Rick? Sure. Cool. Yeah, um, I'll just we'll go buy one. I'll say I'm there like it is. Totally That's psyched about that. That's <laughs> that that going to be so much fun. And also yeah. joining us tonight is Victoria. Victoria, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing wonderful. Awesome. Glad to be here. Sassy little redhead is with us, and we are excited to hear oh, about yeah. your topic this evening. Um, we were just talking about you today and Turbo the Flying Dog, but she's going to tell us a little more about that later. I had an uh, interview with someone today, and they were barking in the background. I said, oh, you've got to see this. And, uh, <laughs> so you'll tell us a little bit about that in a minute. Uh, also joining us is uh, somebody from uh, one of my favorite states, and it's right near Bourbon County, is uh, Sean Moody. Sean, how are you this evening? Uh, doing great, actually. Enjoying uh, a little bit of Woodford Reserve bourbon as we speak, so spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I have already had my enjoyment of all the, well, actually all the vodka I can take for the evening. I did, doing a few martinis and uh, met some friends out this evening and talked a little bit of aviation and then uh, went from there. Had some seafood and aviation. How can you, you beat that? And also with us today is Eric Crump from Central Florida, the state that never stops raining. The state where it never stops raining unless it's just so humid that it doesn't have to rain because there's so much water just in the air anyway. But I'm actually, well, actually not in central Florida tonight. I'm actually in it. central Alabama, which is odd, but I'm doing some traveling, and I'll talk about that in a minute, I guess. But hello to everyone. 
Awesome. Well, welcome, Eric. Welcome, everybody. And uh, welcome you, the listener, to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, you know, we, we really love to fly here, and we love talking about flying, and, and that's why we're here. And this is episode number 80, and I uh, just want to say thank you for listening to us. And, and if you like the podcast, hey, just go out there to stuckmikeavcast.com, sign up for our newsletter. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, aviationuniverse.us. Let's do the pre-flight. The, the folks here at Stuck Mike are so much fun. This has been a blast for me uh, because I've learned so much from everybody here. And that, you know, I keep uh, hearing these, getting these emails from, from you, the listener, and keep them coming. I like the comments, and uh, I should try to share them more with the, the rest of the folks here, which I haven't been remiss lately. But uh, the fact that, that we have some really prescient type of conversations and, and the banter here is terrific. And everybody here ha- brings something to the table. And I love that about about this show. Not just because we're we're producing it, but I just have so much fun with it. And I'm I'm thankful for the folks that are here. Hey, you know, we uh, before we do start our conversation this evening, uh, we do have a few announcements this evening. And uh, one of I'll just kick this off real quick as far as announcements. This remember our last episode, episode 79, uh, we talked about hey, what's in your hangar? Uh, and there was a comment period. As far as what uh, uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, well, what the government has decided to do uh, is to extend the uh, comment period for 30 days, and it actually is going to go through, let's see, the 6th of October now. So you have till the 6th of October. So if you get a chance, go to episode 79, check out the link there to the FAA's notice of proposed rulemaking. It's easy for me to say. And and and, and comment on that. You know, what do you think? Uh, listen to the episode, and, and what do you think about the new rules coming up about what's in your hangar? Uh, I know there was a lot of discussion last night when I had a safety meeting about what's going on there. Also, another quick announcement that I have, I'm doing uh, on Aviation Careers Podcast, I'm doing a webinar coming up on the 30th of uh, September, about, you know, should you become an airline pilot? Part one, we'll be discussing 10 reasons you should become a pilot as far as the airlines and, you know, why airline pilots can be the worst source of information for your career. Uh, some online forums you should ignore, uh, seniority. We're going to have a real in-depth discussion there. And then, obviously, some actions you can take towards your career. So check that out. It's free as long as you just sign up for it. Also, uh, I think, let's see, Eric, you had an announcement this evening that's a really cool one. <laughs> I think it's really cool. Um, so I'm in central Alabama, and there's a reason for that. Um, it's actually where I'm from. I'm, I'm sitting in my parents' house right now. So my sister actually had her first kid uh, yesterday, and um, uh, Mr. Coulter. Uh, we're very happy to have him joining the family. But uh, with my work schedule and with all the stuff we have going on, we just couldn't commit the time. It's, it's two days to drive back and forth. Um, and you know, the commercial airline tickets last minute were way too expensive. So I decided to commit some aviation and fly up to Alabama uh, with the whole family today. We had a very good flight up, uh, lots of fun and just sharing aviation as a family is awesome. Anyway, my, my, most people know my wife's a pilot, um, and my kids just love being around airplanes. So, um, the announcement is actually that I have a nephew, and I'm very happy about that. Cool. And the the cool aviation context of the announcement is I got to commit some aviation to come see him. So even it's just icing on the cake. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That's thanks, awesome. Thanks. That's that's terrific. Uh, committing the aviation in what? How how did you get there? What'd you fly? 
Well, you know, remember that uh, Technum twin that we talked about oh, a little while ago? Yeah. yeah, I know. I try not to mention it because I know it makes you jealous. Oh man, I'm drooling. <laughs> I'm drooling. Hang on, let me clean up a little. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a great flight. Um, you know, I've done a lot of you know, training and just flying around the local area in it. But you know, to do a three hour, it was about three hours forty five minutes. We had some headwinds, um, and which would have been an eleven hour ride in a car. So um, I think it was definitely definitely worth it but it's just so roomy and you know i could go on and on I, we've talked at length about the airplane but man what a way to fly and yeah there's a good endorsement for flying right there i mean why yeah. why drive when flying is a lot quicker and you can get to the airport you want to get to especially in general aviation so that's really cool awesome. well, i actually got to land at the airport i learned to fly at which is just oh, really man. awesome it's, it's neat coming in and seeing that airport we actually i flew over from from birmingham over to jasper and I've made that trip back and forth to Birmingham so many times during my training and uh, coming back in the twin is just, you know, it was a nice little reflective period. I enjoyed it. Cool. What a neat airport. That's a, that's a, I used to love flying into Birmingham. It's right down yeah. in the Valley. It's, it's really a pretty area because you can go to the top of the mountain and overlook uh, Birmingham and, a lot of the towns uh, in the area are actually named after towns in England. And uh, they have that, uh, what is it, the statue to, of the Vulcan, Vulcan. statue? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah a Red little... Mountains, where they got all the iron ore. Birmingham was a huge iron capital back in the, back in the industrial age. Interesting. So not only do you learn about aviation here, you learn about history. <laughs> this, is, this is really There cool. will be a test. <laughs> God, I hope not. The, uh, it, and there's also the Barber School of Driving that's there. Pretty in- yes. interesting. Uh, the largest uh, museum that holds the largest uh, motorcycle museum, uh, supposedly yep. in the world, but definitely in the United States. They have so many uh, different motorcycles in that museum. So those of you that are into motorcycles, check that out next time you fly in there. Awesome trip. Awesome announcement, and congratulations again. Uh, Thanks, sir. I think also, let's see, other announcements. Victoria, you had an announcement, did you not? That I do. Uh, last episode, number 79, my pick of the week was my dog because uh, my friend and I wrote a story about Turbo the Flying Dog. And actually, there's going to be eventually, the goal is for at least four books in his series. And our Kickstarter campaign launched last week, and we are already 50% funded. Oh, that awesome. happened in the first awesome. two days. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. So I just wanted to put that out there that it's going to be published uh, hopefully by the end of November here. The Kickstarter campaign is out. Um, We hope to go over so we can afford to uh, publish as many um, of the books in the series as possible. So you can feel free to look it up now or look it up when it's published and ready to go. I'm sure I'll be giving you updates because I'm super excited about this project. Yeah, it's really cool, and the pictures are awesome uh, on the Facebook page. So what what is that Facebook page? Um, it's Turbo the Flying Dog. So if you do facebook.com slash Turbo the Flying Dog. And cool. I've been seeing the artwork come in from our illustrator daily, and it's amazing. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. And, and we'll have a link on the website. You'll give us that link, right? Oh, of course. TurboTheFlyingDog.com and... I can give you all the other fun stuff, too. That's pretty easy to remember. I think I can even remember yes. that one. <laughs> Not as tough as a clearance, right? The Turbo the Flying Dog, uh, it's going to be pretty inspirational, and I've seen some of the pictures, and it's it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this project. And uh, also, the Kickstarter is going to be open till when? Uh, November 2nd. 2nd, okay. So we got some time. So cool. We'll definitely have to jump in on that. Well, thanks. Uh, any other announcements? I think that's that's uh, all we have for the announcements. Now entering cruise flight. Now we can move on to our first topic. And uh, the first topic, I think, 
uh, was actually it was Victoria. You actually had something pretty interesting because don't you have an upcoming trip and something that's interesting about that trip that we can share about aviation? Yes. Um, in fact, we weren't sure if this trip was going to happen. We are heading to Iceland, awesome. and there happens to be a volcano erupting right there. I am not even going to attempt to oh, come on. pronounce it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was actually really good. <laughs> Thank you. That was close. <laughs> so they had different uh, aviation alerts up for this volcano and I just kept watching it go back from orange to red to orange to red and was wondering if our flight would be canceled or if we'd get trapped there and not be able to get home. And right now it seems to be perfectly fine. There's not any huge ash clouds that are stopping planes from flying in the vicinity. Uh, if you recall in 2010 it actually shut down that large chunk of airspace for I believe it was nine days. So um, it's, it's a big deal when a volcano erupts. And so I did a little bit of research because it got me thinking about, you know, flying in the area of um, volcanoes. And uh, British Airways Flight 9 is one that came to me in my research. Its uh, call sign is Speedbird 9. And it was actually a 747 that flew into volcanic ash cloud during an eruption of a volcano over Indonesia, and it caused the failure of all four engines. Whoa. Yeah, kind of serious. That is pretty serious. <laughs> so while this was happening, the captain actually said over the speakers, and I quote, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have a small problem. All four engines have stopped. We are doing our darndest to get them going again. I trust you are in not too much distress. Have you ever made an announcement like that, Carl? <laughs> no, that was that would be one of those announcements I hope I never have to make. Gosh, that that's I, I've had made some announcements like, well, everything's okay. We're still going to make it to the airport. So, uh, but uh, you don't have to take the brace positions, uh, and they're gonna we're gonna talk over this. But no, that would be a, a bit scary there. So uh, yeah, guess that that's uh, that's horrible. I mean, that's uh, when you when you hear something like that come over. I trust you're not in too much discomfort. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I just like that he was so yeah. nonchalant about it. I'd be like, holy crap. Well, hopefully not, but. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Speedbird. Now, they're always very calm. I mean, remember the one in Australia, the 380 that had the oxygen, that actually kind of, the oxygen container that exploded, and they were just very mm -hmm. calm about the whole thing, you know, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. You know, well, what actually happened and why these engines stopped was that the ash entered the engines and it melted and then adhered to it. And after the engine stopped and the plane left the cloud, it cooled down enough for this ash to break off of the engine and then the pilot was able to restart. And in my research of ash, it turns out um, there can be things called aged ash clouds. Those are over two days old, and uh, within the first 30 minutes of an eruption is where the most coarse ash is, and it's so coarse that it can actually, like, scratch an aircraft windscreen. And, but what happens is most of this ash falls out of the volcano within the first 24 to 36 hours, and it can actually be tracked for uh, two days after that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to, uh, to, see, to talk a little bit more about volcanoes. And, and flying around them, and uh, I know that the 
you know, watching these ash clouds can be pretty scary. Uh, just, you know, if you fly through them, you're, you know, you're pretty much toast. The engines are toast. Um, but there's ways to get information about those ash clouds, isn't there? As far as yeah, there's there's actually volcanic ash advisory centers um, that are where meteorologists, uh, volcanologists, and pilots kind of get together and talk about that volcanic activity. And then they can put up what's called a, um, a t- like a temporarily zone to close it off that airspace. It's called a time limited zone, uh, also known as a TLZ, which I didn't know that was a name out there. So that was kind of interesting. So that's what happens when there's any natural hazards like wildfire fires and uh, volcanoes. They put a TLZ around it. Interesting, interesting. You know, uh, volcanoes actually, and I do a lot of flying down to. Uh, you know, South America and, and fly around this one. I, I won't even attempt to say that volcano's name, but it is really scary, especially when you're flying at night. Of course, we can't fly through them. Uh, we can fly over them, but during the day, we can fly over them. At nighttime, you can't can't uh, fly over them at all. And, uh, you know, the, the, the notums are interesting in that, yeah, they come out, they have warnings, but a lot of times when you see those notums, they cover a very large sector. Well, obviously, you know, it's not going to cover 400 miles. So uh, what happens is they actually uh, look at the the specific, you know, lat longes and, and the latitude and longitude of, of that sector, just like any other segment, uh, will actually show you the specific point of uh, of that volcano. Uh, I've been, been flying down and actually ran into one, or excuse me, uh, ran real close to one, and thank God we didn't run into it. Uh, but it came up at the last minute. It was pretty pretty scary stuff. And there's a lot of pilots besides just airlines and people giving aerial tours that have to go around these uh, volcanoes. Uh, volcanologists rely on pilots, especially helicopter pilots, to get them to the location that they're studying. And I read that besides trying to, you know, dodge the lava, uh, dry days can be especially hazardous because there's all parts of, like, bits of volcanic glass on the ground. And when uh, the helicopter comes in to land, the rotor wash creates, like, mini volcano tornadoes, and all this is being brushed up towards the aircraft. And the other large hazard is the gas plumes, not just the ash. There's actually plumes of gas clouds that come up from the volcano and they carry corrosive acids and can be sucked into the engine and it probably ruins the paint job too (laughs) i'm sure it's not good for the paint job at all but uh well that's pretty interesting victoria you know that talking about those volcanoes that's pretty neat to watch you know when a helicopter is landing but never really thought about you know the the Actually, the air and also the fumes yeah. from the volcano kicking up from the from the helicopter, and that's that's a pretty interesting uh, a little problem there. And we're not we're not going to go too in depth on on volcanic ash, except for one thing: just stay away from it. You know, <laughs> if if you're in an area, fly over it, fly around it. Uh, I know, you know, at the airlines, uh, most airlines have to fly a good twenty to forty miles away, up to fifty miles from a volcanic activity. Uh, the ash cloud and the plumes can go really high. Uh, and they can wreak havoc on the uh, inside of your aircraft and, and your engine also, especially. But uh, interesting stuff, really, really interesting stuff. Um, but uh, anyway, I think um, we had another topic, and I think uh, who's going to lead us off on that one? It was had to well, do I, I with, bring it up. with yeah, the, the news there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, if you could just talk a, a little bit well, about Well, I mean, that. what we what I s- suggested might be interesting to talk about is the recent um, 
crash uh, near, you know, basically near Jamaica of, um, what kind of plane was it? A, uh, uh, the TBM, I think TBM it was a 900. Yeah, yeah, TBM 900. Um, uh, after, you know, after losing radio and after having jets scrambled and all that. And I think we all know what happened, and I'll probably let you talk about it, but it, it definitely involved the possibility of hypoxia. And, and it got me thinking, you know, what, I, I just wonder uh, people who are trained to be in aircraft that use uh, oxygen or, or have the potential for oxygen or yeah, that's probably the way to say it. There must be some very specific you know, rules about how quickly you are supposed to realize what might be happening and get those things on. Because if you don't, you know, kind of game over. So I just got me thinking about it. And I have no experience at all with any of that. And um, so I thought I'd, you know, just throw it out there and, and, and see who does and see if you guys want to talk about it. Because it's a, it's a sort of tragic situation when it and it has happened before, uh, you know, and in, in some famous situations. So anyway, Carl, that so that's, that's why I brought it up. I thought it was a fascinating topic, Carl. Yeah, it it really is a fascinating topic, and uh, something with oxygen that's interesting is if you don't have it over a very short period of time, you're going to lose consciousness, and a lot of times it's insidious. And it seems like in this case, just from my observation and listening to the conversations, and uh, you know the typical, hey, the person started slurring their speech, and uh, and they wound up probably passing out. Uh, that that really shows you that this person uh, was lacking some type of oxygen, and and this is a, a real tragedy because just looking at the communications, the controllers, they gosh, you know, I, I don't think the pilot controller communication. Not saying that uh, it was wrong on one end or the or the other, but in general, uh, if if it was immediately declared an emergency and the person was able to descend quicker, probably would have been would have been a much better outcome. You know, having right. been in an aircraft with, I have lost all pressurization in an aircraft. Uh, it really, you do want to get down, and you don't you really have to ask them. You say, "Hey, we need an immediate descent." Sometimes a better thing to say besides that is is an emergency. Excuse me, an emergency descent. Yeah, it's something we we talked about yeah. uh, last night in our safety meeting. But uh, but gosh. Well, what can I ask? You, like in that situation, what do you know? Like what what various ways might you know that something's not right? That's a great question. I know it depends, but it depends on the plane and the equipment and all that. But you know what what's a good sign, warning sign, especially if you have the ability to throw a mask on that. Just to be safe, I'm going to throw this mask on. And 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 that's an awesome question because that I, I think a lot of people they they don't go to their mask quick enough. I'll tell you one thing: if I ever hear a bang, uh-huh. I usually grab my mask. Right. Because right. usually the first thing you hear is is a bang, and then you start losing pressurization. Uh, with most of the aircraft that I've flown in that are pressurized. We actually have an indicator for the cabin altitude, and I take a peek at that every so often. But first, you're normally going to see some type of a warning uh, or just a you know caution, really, and saying, "Oh, you know, there's something, there's a problem here. Wait, let me grab my mask first and, and put that on." Now, in the case of an airplane that that has maybe just one oxygen tank, or or in case you don't have a backup oxygen, say like in the TBM, and I don't know the system very well in the TBM, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but if if you haven't noticed there's a problem, uh, then you know you could actually wind up passing out fairly quickly. But in this yeah. case, it sounds like they they actually knew there was a problem. There's a lot of training that goes on, uh, and and I think and we'll get to it with Eric because Eric wants to brief us a little bit about the high altitude endorsements and that type of thing. But in general. And I made this point last night in our safety meeting, is that just because you have a high altitude endorsement doesn't mean that you're going to be safe 
flying in a pressurized aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, you really need to get some really good training uh, in high altitudes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that, that kind of bugged me about this one is the fact that it, I just kept replaying in my mind uh, accidents besides, like, the Payne Stewarts. And, and what was the other one? There was a recent one in Virginia uh, yeah. that was possibly the same problem. You, you kind of look back and you say, gee, you know, you know what, uh, what could we have done better? Uh, and I think a big part of it is, is, is immediately declaring that emergency. But just to give you an idea, though, uh, about the oxygen, you have an oxygen, a pressurization system, excuse me, and an oxygen bottle as a backup. But what if your backup bottle it, it fails, or someone forgot to fill it. I do have a friend of mine who was flying Learjet, and uh, he lost pressurization in his airplane and wound up uh, turning, you know, going to his oxygen mask. Now, that oxygen mask is connected to an oxygen bottle. Well, the oxygen bottle, someone didn't fill it. So he ran out of oxygen really fast. And at that point, he made a decision to point the nose down and overspeed the aircraft because he said, I'm going to go anyway. So he started p going down quickly. Um, you know what actually happened to him afterwards? The biggest problem he had was uh, gastrointestinal problems afterwards uh -huh. because of all the, the gases expanding. Mm. He was in such incredible pain. Uh, it took him a while, actually, just to get over that pain and, the, and wow. some of the damage that was done inside him. So, you know, just talking about oxygen... Isn't, many, the, isn't the only answer, yeah. No, no. You have to definitely know that you have enough before you go in your backup system. You have to know that you have enough in your primary system. And, and maybe, hey, bring another, bring another uh, backup system. Think about this. If you look at an airliner, you know the people the, in the back, they have flight attendants, and they have oxygen bottles. So here's all these different bottles you have in the airplane. So you kind of want to think outside the box because if you start sucking on, on your oxygen and nothing's coming out, first thing you have to figure out is, hey, what's wrong here? Why am I not? getting oxygen did i not turn the oxygen mask on properly and that's sometimes most of the time is the problem i've had that happen myself where i was like oh shoot okay now i'm, I'm sucking on it properly because sometimes uh many masks i should say have different settings even on the oxygen mask uh they have a hundred percent and uh they also have where it's actually a, a setting where it actually will push air into you just think about this. When, when you lose pressurization, what many times will happen, because your, your lungs, uh, they're, I, I like to look at them like they're almost like paper mache. They'll, they'll collapse. And what a lot of systems are set up to do, especially on, on larger uh, jet aircraft, is they'll force oxygen into your lungs to reinflate your lungs so that you can start breathing again. And that's, that's really, really important. Um, but there's, but that, you know, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, the, the, the oxygen and, and this accident in general brings up a lot, of, a lot of different issues. Number one, if you have a problem with oxygen, go where there's oxygen. Go down. Go down to a level where you don't need it anymore immediately. Don't even think about whether you're going to declare an emergency or not. As a matter of fact, controllers now, uh, since the crash in uh, was it the Avianca crash in Long Island, they now can declare the emergency for you. So if you say, hey, I have an oxygen problem, you, they'll get you down quickly. You don't even have to say you have an emergency, mm -hmm. but it's best to say you have an emergency. Um, but training in general is the most right. important part I, of that. I think that thing, that um, hesitancy maybe to, you know, hassle the system sure. by saying I have an emergency, to maybe, you know, if, if uh, family members are aboard, to maybe not 
scare them by using that word. You figure, I'm cool. I can, you know, this this can be handled, and it and it's a word that basically helps save you, not not creates a problem, but but solves a problem. And I, but I can, and I'm not faulting anyone because I know there'd be a real strong uh, impulse to not use that word if I thought there was it was you know going to be okay even if that was misguided i would probably hesitate and that hesitation is is could potentially be a problem and i and i realize that you know i think there's a powerful denial of reality there too yeah Um, and that's not just with oxygen issues it's with any kind of potential emergency situation where a, a pilot and it's not necessarily lack of training but a lot of times you see it in that particular aspect but just this can't possibly be happening no, this is a brand new airplane. It's right. got all these fancy systems in it. I can't possibly be losing pressurization. But right. like Carl said, when in doubt, just pick up the mask. It's a it's a yeah. five second operation that can save your life. It's, do you it's, see? Do you it's see? Such a simple thing. Is there a cabin pre- in most pl- cases that where a plane is pressurized? Is that visible to you that it is pressurized? Oh, that's always going to be visible to right. you if the, if the airplane's pressurized. There's a readout. Not, of not that. only not only is there a readout, but you have to physically set it to the setting that you want the cabin altitude to be pressurized to, I see. and then you can verify it. And you should be, like Carl said, verifying right. it at regular intervals to be sure that that that's right. that it's maintaining pressure. If right. you're flying around and you're 30 minutes into a flight, and you're like, man, I'm feeling really really tired, yeah. or man, my head is killing me, or those common warning signs that everybody learns about when you learn about hypoxia. And your yeah. medical factors, the first thing that goes through your mind is, what's my cabin pressure? Right. You look at it, you see it's not where it's set, you don't fiddle with it, you don't trouble, you just grab the mask, right. period. Just gra- get the mask first, and then start trying to troubleshoot the problem. Right. And, and I think that was answering Rick's question, which I never answered before, is, you know, what are the indications? You know, right. how do you know there's a problem? Uh, clearly, I, clearly this, this pilot saw a problem, because he's there's yes. a phrase here that's quoted that's, we have an indication that's not correct in the plane, was the phrase. Right. And, and he wanted to descend, but, but whatever. I, can't, I don't know. I didn't read the details enough to know, but it almost seemed like he wanted a small amount of descent, right? He wasn't. Well, he wasn't, yeah, he, he did it, want to get down to an altitude that wasn't quite as low as it should be, I think. Yeah. If you're losing pressurization, I think the first altitude is like 18,000. Right. Uh, and then down to 10,000. Right. Um, but, uh, but here, you know, this brings up a really good point and, and to add to what, uh, Eric said, the, uh, there's this checklist. I don't, I don't know if Eric or, or Rick, if you've heard of this one, the care checklist, which is kind of an in-flight checklist, uh, no. that, that we run through, but you know, it, it's something we, we talk about a lot of times in, uh, you know, in the safety meetings, you know, we talk about this and it's out there on the FAA website, the care checklist. And, and what that is, I can run through it really quickly. It's uh, consequences is the C for care. And, uh, you know, what are the consequences of the actions, you know, that type of thing. What and, and after you, or the consequences of a change in my environment, you see an oxygen level that's uh, in your oxygen bottle going towards a zero. Uh, you see your pressurization, your cabin is rising. And what does that mean? The altitude which is in the cabin is rising higher and higher, meaning it could have been at 8,000 feet. Now it's going to 10, 12, 13,000 feet. Uh, and then you 
deal with that. You say, okay, what do I need to do now? And the second part of that care checklist is your alternatives. You know, what are your alternatives? Okay, I see the consequences and I see the alternatives, the alternative being to go to a lower altitude. And that's the second part of that checklist. That's one of my alternatives is to descend. And and the third part, and this is what Eric was talking about, is the reality of the situation. What are the realities? A lot of times, and believe me, we I've done it. Um, you know, I, I'm sitting in there like, you know, I I can't believe this is happening right now, and I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to pretend it's not happening. And uh, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, this is really happening. Now I have to deal with the realities. Are, is your comprehension working? You know, uh, do you have good essay? That's where the realities come in. Essay meaning situational awareness. Our ability to actually get, have perceptions cognitively processed and to have them have um, – have different type of decisions made on those those cognitive type of processes. So that's our reality. And uh, and then the other part too about that checklist is the external pressures. I mean, was there an external pressure in your situation or in this person's situation uh, where you had to get there? You needed to get to that meeting. And you didn't want to be late uh, mm-hmm. to wherever you were going. So that's that care C A R E checklist, and we'll have a link to that. So it's the consequences, alternatives, reality, and external pressures or the externalities, that type of thing. So it's a really good checklist to run through as you're flying, this care check- checklist on a constant basis. Basically, it's it's a lot of essay, and it's a lot of determining what to do next, especially with a pressurization issue, with any issue. The problem with pressurization, and I'm glad Eric answered your question, is that the, it's it's insidious. It's it's You're sitting there and you're looking. It's like, well, why, why are my fingernails turning blue? Uh, so that would be a good question there. You know, why do I feel drunk? I mean, there's a, there's a really good recording of this plus others on liveatc.net uh, where mm. they actually have uh, the pilots talking to the controllers and they're slurring their speech. And mm. afterwards, the people didn't even realize uh, what was going on. One thing that would be really cool, Rick, I'm not sure you've, if you've done this, is doing mm. one of those hyperbaric pressure mm. chambers mm. where they, they actually raise the altitude of the chamber. Mm. Uh, that would be really cool to do, and interesting. And, and I think who was it? Was it Eric that you were talking about? You're going to possibly doing be doing that with your uh, yeah. Students? Actually, my uh, my college program is looking at doing a field trip to go uh, play in a hyperbaric chamber. I think it's a really good experience. I've never actually been in one myself. I've I've observed people in them. Um, never had the opportunity actually to get in one. So I'm excited to actually go and experience it. You know, you 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 hear the stories about people who are you know. What is two plus two, and they can't they can't solve the problem. Um, and you know, you, you think about that, it just sounds silly. But um, I mean, I'm sure Carl, you've been in situations where you've been hypoxic, um, and it's it's really it can be a little bit alarming. But that's where the training piece really comes in because if you're not properly trained, you're just going to keep right on going, and the warning signs are going to get worse and worse. But unfortunately, so is your cognitive processing power. So if you don't realize the early warning signs and do something about it, then your ability to do something about it decreases over time. Right. And I think a lot of the, uh, whatever, the hypoxic training that we do um, as an industry, big picture, we like to talk a lot about rapid, rapid depressurization and you know, time of useful consciousness. And you got to get that mask on. You got to get it on quick. And that's a lot of the way we actually conduct training when we're giving people these elusive high-altitude endorsements. But what you – I mean, I'm not saying there aren't rapid depressurizations, but the ones that 
happen predominantly are the slow leaks. Your Payne Stewart's this accident in Jamaica, this accident in Virginia, where it's just it's a slow, ongoing process over time, or even not in a pressurized airplane, just flying around in your 172 at 10,000 feet at night, not being aware of your body's increased need for oxygen and getting yourself in a situation that mm-hmm. you can't get yourself out of. Right. And, you know, bringing that, that's a good, good point there is it's a lot of times slow. And going back to what Rick was asking about, how do you know? Uh, a lot of the systems will give you many warnings, but I've been in airplanes where the system, and I'm sure you have seen too, Eric, where the system really doesn't give you the best warnings in the world, I think. Uh, I like the systems that have all sorts of bells and whistles going off and saying, yeah, hey. One, <laughs> one would as- yeah, one would assume an ideal system would let you set a point at which you get warned. Yeah. Set off an alarm. I'm going to pressurize to this point. Tell me when it's at this point, if it ever gets there. And I'm, you know, so that I, because you can keep checking it, but, you know, if you're not vigilant about it and, and your, your scan gets distracted from something else, you know, you can, you can get sideways very fast. Right. Sure. Sure. I imagine. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and all these things that you learn about, like in, in your high altitude and, and in your training, you, you look at the different causal factors, like the cystotoxic hypemia, the different hypemias, the different uh, ways that you have this, this lacks of blood in, blood in your oxygen. Um, and a lot of times there's, there's hypemic hypemia. There's, there's many different ways that, that you can have lack of oxygen being carried to the tissues in your body, one of them being a lack of partial pressure of oxygen and also uh, there's another way, you know, the cystotoxic. I mean, where where you've had too much alcohol that causes you to actually have less oxygen transferred to your brain and is an, another reason that uh, a lot of the airlines won't carry you if you have too much uh, alcohol because you might wind up uh, dying from it, actually, or at least passing out from uh, not having enough oxygen because the altitudes in the airplanes go up to six to 8,000 feet. By the way, there was one thing I, we'd have to clarify, too. Remember, and we're not going to go into a whole uh, discussion about uh, pressurization, but it can be pretty difficult to understand pressurization in an airplane uh, and the gauges that you're looking at. So uh, you look at a gauge, and there's many different numbers or dials and indicators, and those indicators might tell you that you have a current altitude inside your aircraft of, say, 8,000 feet. And then you look outside your airplane, and it's 18,000 feet. And then it'll give you a differential pressure between the outside and the inside of the aircraft. It also gives you an indication of the pressure rising or falling, both inside and outside the aircraft. So now, just now, notice what I just did. I explained all these different things, and, and it's kind of tough to even follow that. And if you have to look at an indicator and you have to quick translate what's going on with that indicator, uh, you, you may not be able to figure that out very quickly. You know, you might be able to say, you might be looking at it and say, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is it that my, it's, it's showing a vertical speed inside the cabin, uh, it's climbing at 1,000 to 2,000 feet per minute. Now, what is that telling me? That means inside the cabin I'm climbing, even though I could be in a descent and my altitude's huh. cl- and you're sitting there like, why is this happening? Uh. And, and you realize that the cabin is trying to, quote unquote, catch up. With the ex- the outside pressure, so just even what I just described is it, pretty hard to get your head around. Right. So it takes it takes some time just 
just looking at pressurization and understanding the consequences and understand what you're looking at. And, and I think that's really, I think, what we're trying to drive home here. I really feel bad for these people. I mean, it, was, it just, it, I'm sure that, that the, you know, they were sitting there saying, hey, we need some help, we need to get down. And, uh, you know, they didn't know what was happening to them at the last moments there, it seemed like. Uh, and uh, it's it's a real bummer when you yeah. see something like this happen. Yeah. I really feel sad for those folks, that's for sure. But uh, Eric, quick question: Do you yep. have the uh, a, a course at your school on uh, pressurization, like a specific course, or is it part of another course? Well, I mean, it's not a specific course, just on pressurization. But our aircraft systems and components class looks very in depth at pressurization, both in um, you know your what I call your um, <laughs> your ad hoc pressurization systems in addition to the, you know, the bleed air off of a turbine. So, I mean, from a turboprop, um, I mean, you still have, like, the TBM, for example, a pressurization system, you know, which, which is built or, or pulled off of the turbine. So it's, it's turbine bleed air, just like in a turbojet, same basic principle. Um, but you also have the ad hoc pressurization system type thing um, where, um, you know, you may have a, an extra pressure pump attached to the aircraft. Um, some of your your smaller Cessna twins have that system, and there's some others, Carl, you could probably identify. Right. Um, but you know, you're looking at two completely different kinds of systems, turbine bleed air versus um, auxiliary pump type systems. And um, anyway, uh, we, you know, we want to we look at both of those as different, uh, you know, what, what the pros and cons are of each and sort of go through it. Because the reality is, most of our students won't be in a position where they're flying an aircraft and need a high-altitude endorsement until much later in their career. I think, Carl, you didn't even get your endorsement <laughs> until, you know, after you were already flying for the airlines. Yeah, that's um, true. And, um, you know, with me, it was this, sort of the same thing. I, I, I don't need a high-altitude endorsement. I got one because I was doing 135 training in a King Air 200, so I had to have one. Um, but you know, I, I, I haven't used quote unquote, my high altitude endorsement in a really long time. Um, at the same time, it's very important that you, you have the training, not just to get the endorsement. So you have the little signature in your logbook, but that you actually understand what the system is, how it works. So like to get back to Rick's core question so that you can identify errors before they become life threatening ones. Right. Exactly. Fascinating. And, you know, to, to go back to what we were saying about uh, getting the high-altitude endorsement, the reason I didn't need it because I was getting training through the airline and I was working for the airline. When I got furloughed and I went back to flying a corporate jet, then I didn't have the high-altitude endorsement, and I needed to have it for the insurance. So it was kind of an odd situation because the person I was flying with giving me the training had less time at altitude than I did, but they're giving them a training because I had to do it for the insurance. Uh, so that was kind of a sign-off. It's like, gosh, I've been through all this this training and some really, really good training. Uh, but but you don't, and that's something you have to look at. Do you have those out, those endorsements in your logbook? It's important, important to have those there and important to have that training. So interesting topic. We actually could talk a lot more about training for high-altitude endorsements and actual training and uh, in, in, in flying with different pressurization systems. Uh, the other thing we really didn't talk about is oxygen. Remember that uh, also your oxygen system 
the can annular, the stuff that you put in your nose, you know, the, the tubes and all, you need to also check that and make sure that's working properly. Don't think that it, it just has to do with pressurization systems. Let's look at all oxygen systems and make sure we understand, number one, how to use our system, number two, how to figure out the indications when something goes wrong, and number three, what do we need to do if we do have an abnormal situation and, and act immediately. Don't ever be afraid to declare an emergency and uh, and get down and head on, on to to the to the altitude that we need to be at. Uh, but this is going to be something really interesting uh, that I want to uh, keep following as far as pressurization and and emergencies. Uh, don't ever be afraid to to declare an emergency if you declare an emergency. Uh, or if you've done anything you feel you might have had a problem with, remember to fill out a NASA report. Say you uh, violated some type of uh, of rule by accident, uh, then fill that out. You know, you have up to 10 days to fill out the NASA report and to have it uh, to help you, you know, in, in a situation where where you might have a, a you know some type of action against you, so uh, definitely definitely do that in those situations. Good good uh, good topic, Rick. I'm glad you brought this up. This is uh, pretty awesome. It's, you know, it's what always occurs when I hear about these things, where I immediately go, now what you know what would I have done or what what would I have needed to know to as Eric said to be to recognize something was about to be not safe and and how do I quickly resolve it? And and right away I was like, I don't know enough about this. I'd love to talk about it. So there's lots of those, and, I, and I, I'll try to notice some more. We can talk about things. Yes, yes. It's definitely a good topic. And if, if you have other topics, too, by the way, if you're listening and you want to hear about, just just write in and let us know. We have uh, – there's so many neat things that are going on in aviation right now, and uh, would love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, be, before we get going, though, I want to say uh, thanks to Victoria for, for all she's done and also – uh, for uh, announcing, making that announcement, she actually had to drop offline, and we had a little technical difficulty with uh, Sean Moody, so he had to drop off there. I think I think uh, these folks uh, declared an emergency and, and descended right. and got the heck out of here. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Is it my breath? Uh, no, I, <laughs> I think safely. I think they got they got away safely. <laughs> they did. They did. Well, Victoria had an option between us and Turbo. I mean, you can't really blame her. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. You can't blame her. Well, we should have some a really neat interview coming up in the next episode. I won't give it all away, but it's uh, somebody has some really interesting stuff to say, uh, and and talk about jets and and things like that. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Our picks of the week. Now we'll move on to our next section and uh, oh, our picks of the week. So we we only have three picks of the week now. And uh, how about Rick? Do you want to lead us off? Sure. On that? Yeah, mine is a um, video uh, recording app that came out in the last couple of weeks from uh, Instagram, which I think is actually also Facebook. <laughs> it's getting hard to know the players without a scorecard. But, um, and it's called Hyperlapse. And Hyperlapse, if you have uh, not heard of it, um, basically the initial use case seems to be shooting videos that um, you can speed up to 12 times so that, for instance, if you're <clears throat> driving from point A to point B and you shoot out the front window, you can record it with this app and then play it, compress it back to 12 times the speed. I did one of a ferry crossing uh, recently in a place I was visiting and took, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a short, it's a short ferry crossing, really short, like 30, maybe it's 45 seconds, but it was down to was it, nine seconds or something. Um, and that's, that's what it, that's what on the surface it looks like it does, and it does do that fine. But the the, the really cool trick it, it has within it is a very clever um, thing. It's it's an iPhone-only app, and that's because of the hardware in the iPhone, and I'm told it will be coming to Android as Android adapts some uh, gyroscope data um, 
sets uh, in the future, but right now they don't have what they need for this. But basically, the app is constantly, while you're shooting, it's, uh, it's tracking the gyroscope data from the uh, phone. Oh. So it knows how the phone is moving enough that when it goes back to uh, compress it or render it out, essentially, it uses that data to, to uh, steady it. Uh, just like what happens in most editing software, it, it finds a frame of reference and keeps it positioned in the center and, and works better or worse depending on the, the degree and the type of uh, jostling the video has in it. Um, but this thing does it in a phone, and it does it sort of on the fly. I mean, it tracks it all, and then there's a bit of render. The longer you shoot, the longer the render is. But it's not, it's not a hugely long thing, and I think it requires some of the higher-end iPhones, the more recent ones. Um, but... So all that said, I did notice a couple of aviation sites talking about this app, and that's because you can adjust, once you've recorded it, how fast it renders out, you know, how fast it plays back. Maximum of 12 times speed, but minimum of one times speed. And why would you use an app to record something uh, and then play it back at the exact same speed? Well, because of this steadying effect. And so I did a couple of walking shots, kind of walking sideways, uh, it, it, not necessarily a pan, but in the video world, what's called a truck shot, trucking shot, where, you, where you're actually physically moving past things. And it would, would have been a bit bouncy because I was walking and the app totally steadied all you know steadied all that out and some people have pointed out that this is a fairly useful thing when sort of hand holding if a passenger say is hand holding uh, a video shoot of your landing um shoot it with hyperlapse because every little movement will be um will be steadied quite a bit so anyway just a good thing to check out it's called it's officially called hyperlapse from instagram you do not have to be an instagram user it's just a standalone video recording app that lets you save it out to your camera roll and uh it's a pretty nifty bit of technology as these things get more powerful these phones there's a lot of number crunching they can do to to play some tricks and this is a good one highly recommended if you haven't already gotten uh, hyperlapse I, I actually on top of it i think it's free Awesome. <laughs> because awesome. I think, you know, it's a, it's about building a brand for Facebook right. and Instagram. But anyway, Hyperlapse. Really I can good. attest to its freeness because I okay. just downloaded it. There you go. And it's, uh, it, it's some of the initial use, you know, you have to kind of play with it a bit to see how it does, you know, to, to walk through its paces because I don't think it explains itself all that well. But it's very simplistic and elegant in that way. But uh, other than that, it's it's great. And I would say that, that to my to an attempted discerning eye, if you have a choice, it's still better to shoot the video with the built-in camera and recorder because some of that motion adjustment, especially if things are up close and there's detail in the shot, cause a little softness. It's not blurring, but it's, it's a, I think, a little less crisp than it would be if you didn't, if you didn't use it. But, but in the right scenario, like for a wide shot of a landing uh, on a plane, you won't notice that. Interesting. Now, is this going to also get rid of my bounces? Yeah, it makes it look like it was the, the grease smooth. landing. Oh, awesome. Grease. It's the grease landing filter you select. <laughs> I'm in. I don't know that any filter can take care of those landings, Carl. <laughs> I don't think that can be filtered. I think that's just raw footage. If it's needs to super be shared slow, with the world. Right. right. Uh, conversely, if you have a nice landing, there's a porpoise filter. There's a porpoise filter. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, they, it, it's actually, this is a really cool deal. I mean, I've, and what is the term you used again? It's trucking. That's pretty yeah, neat. Yeah, a, a, tr a truck shot. Or, you know, you're awesome. basically because panning is you're standing in one place and you're rotating the camera. You know, you're spinning the head of the tripod or you're turning it. But if you actually walk with the camera past, say, like a tree in the foreground, that's a different shot, and you'll and you'll know the difference because the tree in the background will move in relation to each other in a different way, uh -huh. and that shot is is hard to do without a dolly. It's called a wheeled 
on track or sometimes rubber wheels, whatever, a device that, that lets you move steadily. And, and, you know, film crews use dollies for all that. And, and this is, doesn't necessarily approximate that, but it's, it's that idea. It's how do I steadily move a shot? And you, or you could walk forward through a crowd and that movement will be way steadier with this app than it would be if you were just you know shooting it with video. And you don't have to speed it up. Yeah, that's my message, I guess, is it's fascinating in that, in that it's quite useful without doing it 12 times. Awesome. Well, yeah. this is the great thing about having Rick Felty as a co-host. <laughs> we have a videographer yes. and producer I const- extraordinaire. constantly searching for apps that somehow tangentially relate, relate to aviation. <laughs> well, that's cool. Awesome. And, uh, it, and we learn a little something about videography, too. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Eric, what, what you had an, a really cool uh, little app, or I should say a, a pick of the week. What is that, Eric? Yeah, sure. So I'm sure a lot of people have seen and gone to this site before. But every time I come back to it, I just love it more and more. It's ask, askacfi.com. And um, it's a simple blog, really, with a simple Q&A um, portal, really, is what it is. Um, you uh, can create an account, or you can just play through the, um, the, the, all the posts without having an account. But basically, you can post your question, um, and then people answer it. It's, it's very simple. Um, and also just a ton of information. I was just uh, looking the other day, and, and there's, there's so many different categories with so many different kinds of questions, um, and it'll even tell you the most active kinds of questions that come in. So if you have a question, instead of asking it, you can go into these common question areas and see if somebody's already a- answered your question. So it's really a glorified forum um, for as, as, asking and answering questions about aviation. Um, and I just, I love the site. Of course, like anything with an internet forum, you have to be careful about where your information is coming from. So just because somebody posts on the internet, um, no matter what Carl tells you, does not mean that it's true. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that one later, yes, you too. Are. You will. Um, so, uh, but anyway, that, that's that's the idea. You you've got to you know fact check the answers that you get, but it's a great way to get various perspectives. If you have questions on experimental aircraft, which I have flown in some, but I don't really know a whole lot about them, so you can go read a ton of FA publications. Not that that's a bad idea, but it's really awesome to come here, type in the search box, experimental aircraft. I guarantee you. Most of your top 10 questions have already been asked and answered on the site already. Um, there's a great Twitter account for askcfi.com. And it's really nice because as new questions come in, the question gets posted on Twitter. So if you're a, a Twitter user and you're scrolling through, you'll just see the one-liner for the question. You're like, hmm, I actually kind of wonder what that's about. And you can click on it right there and go straight to the question. So it's a really nice way to sort of browse some of the questions as they come in rather than having to visit the website all the time if that's not really your thing. But anyway, askacfi.com. I love the site. I participate. If you're looking around and you see CFI underscore Eric, that's me. Um, so, um, so get in there and mix it up. Help people answer their questions and uh, get your questions answered. So that's my pick of the week. Awesome. That that's a really cool website, askacfi.com. Do you also participate as someone who answers a lot of these questions? Um, I've answered a few. Yeah. Um I mean I I spend so much time on it looking at information 
sometimes I, I look and there's, you know, three good answers. I don't think I can really add anything to it. So, um, you know, I, most of the, of the questions that I see have already been given really good answers. But I, I do participate in it. I think it's important to share the information. Um, you know, like Rick said, well, here's this thing. Well, I don't know anything about this. You know, and yeah, you can go hang out at the local airport and you, you may have an instructor there you could talk to. But online, there's access to who knows how many hundreds or maybe even thousands of instructors who go to this, uh, this basically this web forum um, who can answer some of your questions for you. And I will say that if you have questions about high-altitude endorsements or high-altitude training, you can simply type in high-altitude training in the Find a Question box. And there are several excellent posts already in there about high-altitude training requirements, opportunities, or places where you can receive that training, what to expect, and some best practices. So, um, you know, just to relate it back to our tonight discussion. Awesome. Good stuff. So if you want to check out the High Altitude Endorsement, go there to Ask a CFI. Thanks a lot, Eric. I appreciate that. So it's askacfi.com. We'll put that in the uh, in the show notes. And uh, for me, last but not least, uh, one of my uh, – uh, this one's actually a really cool one uh, because I didn't come up with this pick of the week. My wife came up with this pick of the week, and it's called Tomorrow's <laughs> – Aeronautical Museum. This is awesome because my wife says, Carl, Carl, come here. You got to see this on TV. It has to do with aviation. I was like, oh my God, you know, mm. this is a first. So I'm running over to the TV and there was a group of uh, young students at this place called the Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum. And you have to check out the website. Love the logo, love the stars and the young girl throwing the airplane. And uh, the, the logo says, Making Tomorrow's History Today. And the reason she called me over is she said, you know, I just heard this story from a, a young girl who was inspired to go to this museum and, and become involved. And so the museum was really hands-on because she actually was able to visit with some people from the Tuskegee Airmen. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, oh, that, that's really awesome. This young lady was being inspired. But it, it got its start, actually, from a gentleman who flew helicopters. And, uh, you know, he noticed that, you know, there was there was uh, you know people at risk in the South Los Angeles area. That's where he's located, uh -huh. and he wanted to help them out. And uh, so he started having people come to his school and and engage. You know, in mm. aviation, and he said, "Hey, you know, maybe I could do more. Maybe I could start a museum, and mm -hmm. uh, and not just a museum. This is hands on. This is something where." anybody can get involved with that's absolutely terrific and it's uh this gentleman robin petgrave and i hope i say that right uh was the uh actual founder of this and uh or one of the founders of this and they they do all sorts of things they do they have wow. people that get involved with uh flight training they have uh, events the kids actually the neatest thing about it for me is that the the young people there uh, they they learn responsibility. They get involved in different projects, and their self esteem is is boosted just tremendously. So it's uh, tamuseum.org, Tomorrow's Aeronautical mm. Museum. And uh, I don't know if Rick, you got to see it, but I, I love that logo with the stars and yeah, the yeah. flying. <laughs> and, and that got me right there. It had me at hello on that one. But uh, cool. but the stories are are really really cool. So check that out. The after landing checklist. Well, you know, uh, that's, uh, I guess that's it, because uh, the other two actually had to drop off here, had a little technical hurry. <laughs> it's like crickets. It's, uh, me, it's it, me and Carl. It's just us. Everybody keeps leaving. I'm sure there's something I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, I'll say on everyone's in everyone's defense too, we we really try hard to stay on a schedule of making the show happen when we do on the first and fifteenth of every month. And it's hard with everyone's schedule to get everybody together and we we try to get a quorum or enough people. We'd like everyone to be able to be there. And so everybody tries their best and sometimes we run long. There's technical stuff and what have you. So at least we got to hear from everybody a little bit tonight and they'll all be back next time, I'm sure. Yes, they sure will. And, and we're probably going to have an interview show on the next one, so that's going to be kind of exciting. Cool. And, uh, and would love to, to hear uh, any other suggestions as to topics. And and if you like the show, hey, go out there to stuckmikeavcast.com and uh, you know yeah. like us on Facebook. By the way, we've got the Facebook page up and running and we're going to put all the posts cool. out there. If you have any questions, you can go do that. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening from myself and from Rick Felty and Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, and uh, Eric Crump. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next episode, and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.